Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is a transformative time for black America. Our income is at an all-time high, and the opportunity for economic empowerment is unprecedented. It's not just about dreaming anymore. It's about turning those dreams into reality by creating blueprints for generational wealth. Prudential has a remarkable history of supporting communities and institutions that have been overlooked for far too long. For instance, they've pledged a staggering $1 billion to programs, partners, and initiatives focused on historically excluded communities. Build your financial blueprint today at prudential.com blueprints. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. All right, here we go. Pac-12 fans, this one's for you. Put your hands up! This is the Pac-12 Apostles. Keeping it real. And only the truth lives here. Pac-12 Apostles. The greatest lesson that you can learn as a college football fan is humility. It will humble you all. Uh, The Pac-12 has a new champion. The Utah Utes and the Pac-12 Awards are out. Did they get it right? Did they get it wrong? And coaching searches go on and on. I'm George Reister, and he's John Wilner, while Mr. Ralph Amson is taking a break. And this is the Pac-12 Apostles. The Pac-12 Apostles is the podcast by Pac-12 fans for Pac-12 fans where you get the absolute truth. No sugarcoating, no BS. We keep it 100. You guys can always shoot us an email. I'm mad. I-M-M-A-D at unafraidshow.com or shoot us a text message. 818-293-7547. All right. I guess we'll start at the beginning, Uh, John. We have a new Pac-12 champion, the Utah Utes. They absolutely destroyed my Oregon Ducks two games in a row in back-to-back weeks. I did not see a scenario where the second game was going to be as ugly as the first game, John. I didn't either. I did not either. It was very, it was surprising, but it was, you could tell right away. I mean, it was, uh, as soon as Devin Lloyd made that uh, pick six and it was 14, nothing, you could kind of just feel the cascade was coming and it was like the, I mean, it was, 
basically they picked up where they left off. It's like the first game had eight quarters. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and it was – and yes – so, and I've blamed a lot of this on, like, well, as, as far as, first thing, Utah deserves all the credit in the world. All the credit in the world. I thought that Cameron Rising, that I don't think he's a great quarterback, but he played efficient. And when it came time to, uh, to, to activate his legs, he made plays, even when Oregon got him in third, third downs. And I thought the Oregon defense played good enough in the first half to win, they got two turnovers. Only mm-hmm. held, they held them to fourteen points. The other points were, were were on the offense, and on that pick six, there was a man wide open on the right side, wide open for a touchdown. So there were some quarterback play issues for for the Ducks that helped contribute to the not 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 to say that Utah wouldn't have won, but in the fashion that they won. No doubt. I mean, uh, that was the big thing to me is that Oregon basically over the course of two games didn't muster any offense, any consistent offense whatsoever. And and it, it seemed like, you know, I mean, clearly for Oregon in general and for Anthony Brown in particular, you know, that Ohio State game was the peak. And it seemed like it, certainly as we got into the second half of the season, you know, other uh, opposing defensive coordinators kind of figured out Oregon and, and Utah had the personnel to really execute the game plan. But they, they, he's in particular struggled, and the whole offense struggled against the use both games. Yeah, and I think that you made a, a good point about because I'm a big believer in styles make make fights, right? Yeah, is that I, th- I think a lot of teams knew how to that putting Oregon in a position where Anthony Brown had to beat them and not not the running game was the answer, but only Utah could actually execute that game plan. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm just thinking back. I mean, Cal did a pretty good job of bottling them up. Um, that was that was fairly early in the season. Uh, but, yeah, that it, it was not, uh, it, you know, it wasn't a big secret what you wanted to do to them. Uh, and, and yet, just personnel-wise, very few teams were, were able to do it. And, and Utah just, I mean, they owned the line of scrimmage for eight quarters. Just, just yeah. I thought, just really owned it, which you certainly don't expect to see against Oregon. And, and it just is that much more stunning when you think about that Oregon-Ohio State game and how Oregon yeah. owned the line of scrimmage. Yeah, it was, and, and you can't blame it on, and like Oregon had a ton of injuries, but like you can't blame it on that because they made it through the rest of the season. It, it was, but, but the, the, but the credit goes to Utah. So let's focus on them for a minute. You had Kyle Whittingham make it to his first Rose Bowl. I mean, you talk about staying the course because I know that he's had opportunities to leave Utah. He wanted to build from them coming uh, over into the conference to finally being conference champions without, you know, top 10 recruiting classes and and all of that. Like, Is that more of a testament? to him and the coaching staff and what they do? Or do you think that it's also at the same time like a, yeah, you did it, but like we need to get recruiting better. That way you can be better consistently because you're such a good coach. Yeah, I think it's a little bit more of the the first uh, of the former. Uh, You know, it took them, they joined the league in 2011 was our first season. And they needed 
you know, and that was before the transfer portal. So restocking was certainly, you know, much more dependent upon recruiting high school players. And they needed three or four recruiting cycles before they could build up, I think, the depth they needed and the skill position talent they needed to compete on a weekly basis, right? I mean, it's one thing to beat a team once, uh, but to, to you know, win a division going through nine weeks of league play is a whole different deal. And I think once you got to that 2015, 2016, you saw things turn and they had the personnel uh to, to compete for the division titles and what they won it in 2018, they won the South, they won it in 2019, and now they've won the conference in 2021. So, uh, you know, they're on course and it's certainly a very, they've got a recruiting model that works for them, right? It fits with their recruiting pool uh, and it fits with their coaching style. Yeah. So is, so I, so I, I wonder, I, and I think we're going to see in this, Ohio State game a little bit, right? Like how they would comport themselves nationally. Because we know that Oregon can go out and beat Ohio State in 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 Ohio State. Now people believe that that's possible, right? Now, people still have those questions about Utah because Utah doesn't have the name brand marquee, you know, marquee, I'm saying air quote, players in terms of where they ranked in recruiting cycles, but you have a two a, a guy with one offer like Devin Lloyd, who's probably going to be a top 10 pick in, in the NFL draft. So do you think that they need to either change their recruiting model or something? Because I would imagine if you give them five-star guys, that you're going to get even better results that. I, I, I mean, so, so, and then, I mean, what, what's the level of Utah? Is it, trying to win Pac-12 championships or is it trying to win or do they or can they win nas- a national championship with this model? I'm not sure that they can, but I also don't know that they could execute a different recruiting model, right? I mean, can they start pulling in, you know, five-star skill position players from Southern California and Texas and Florida? That's to me that's tough, right? They're built on you know, uh, the, the the Polynesian community in, in Utah, in Southern California, Pacific Islands is, is kind of the pipeline for them, uh, you know, and they're great play on both lines of scrimmage. And they're, they're basically built on that and it works for them. I just don't know how successful they would be getting five-star kids from, from those hotbeds to, to go play at Utah when they can play at, you know, USC or Oregon or, or, Alabama or Clemson. I just, I'm, I'm not sure about the ex- the feasibility of the execution. Yeah. See, and I think that Utah fans are obviously ecstatic with the way the season went. Right. But it's, it's like once you, once you bite the forbidden apple now, next year, it's wait, let's go to Rose bowl again. And then after you get a couple tastes of some New Year's Six Bowls, some some Rose Bowls on a consistent basis, now now your fan base grows discontent with that because now they're like, we want a national championship. So so I so I know that Utah fans are happy right now, but I'm just kind of projecting out what do you think is going to be, you know, two years from now, three years from now. What does this is this fan base happy with a season like this? My guess is that they will be. I mean, certainly there's going to be a a 
small percentage of folks that that start next year are going to be playoff or bust. But I think that for the most part, the you know most of their fans will be reasonable about the expectations. I think that you know there's two other factors to consider. One is how long is Kyle Whittingham going to keep coaching, and two is what's going on with USC, right? Because you know if USC turns into a top five, top ten program every year, the dynamics in the division change. Utah has there's been a there's been a void at the top, right? The LA schools have struggled for six eight years, uh, and you know Utah filled that void. ASU couldn't do it. Utah did it, and We'll see if, you know, what the window of opportunity is like, because if it becomes another, you know, Pete Carroll type deal at SC with Lincoln Riley, I think that'll that'll temper everybody's expectations for the other five schools. That makes sense. Um, Now, do you believe that Kyle Whittingham will retire? I think there's a chance. I do. If they go beat Ohio State that 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 he may say look look man i did what i came here to do i finished the job now it's yep. time for somebody else to do this yeah i think that there's a chance even if they don't win beat ohio state i mean i think just getting to the rose bowl could and i i don't know if it's better than 50 50 but i i do think that there's a chance he's gonna retire right he's he's 62 i think and you know he's got tons of grandkids in salt lake city He's been there. He's the winningest coach in school history. He's gotten him to the Rose Bowl. And, and you know, the toll of the, the deaths of the two players, I think, has been Im- immense on him emotionally. So I would not be surprised at all if, if he hangs it up after this season. Yeah, and speaking of that, like, I, I'm a person, I believe that the best teams always win, right? But I also believe that sometimes in seasons – that there are seasons and teams of destiny, right? And I think that Utah, with the deaths of the two players in a year, that that really rallied the troops and that 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 there was something magical about this particular season. Almost like when, um, when, when Oregon played at Washington State, uh, I think it was two years ago, and they finally got game day. Yeah. And then... And, and because because their their flag is always there, everything they're there. Nobody ever thinks they're going to Pullman. Then they go to Pullman. It just so happened to be Oregon. It could have been anybody. It could have been Ohio State. It could have been Alabama. It didn't matter. They were going to lose that day. Same way when when game day when they did that special on the kid that was dying from Purdue and Ohio State went over there and went to go play. Do you remember that? Yeah. And they knocked the doors off of Ohio State. And and Purdue didn't even have a winning record that season, I don't think. And then when the Lakers win the championship the same year that Kobe dies. I think that there are certain factors in life that sometimes help contribute to a team's or or individual's success. I know that's like getting outside the box, but that's just what, what I believe. Uh, no, I think there's something to it. I, certainly, I, the, Utah was a team that was I- incredibly well bonded. There's no doubt about that. I, and I think that the we saw something similar uh, with Washington State. You know, the whole ordeal with Nick Rolovich, I think, helped bond that yep. that team. You know, they didn't they didn't win a division, but certainly you could tell that that they were. Uh, you know, everybody was on the same page there. And uh, their their level of play was at a you know 
uh, you know, very inspired. Yep. All right. Now, <laughs> on to the thing I mentioned first in the beginning. College football will humble you, uh, John. It will humble you. Ju- and, and it doesn't matter who you are, whether you are Alabama, Clemson, Oregon, USC, Washington, Utah, whoever you are, college football will humble you. And and I was humbled this this last in the last three weeks, just getting knocked around by Utah twice, and then Mario Cristobal bailing to my, my Miami. While at the same time, all season, I'm kind of secretly laughing at the dumpster fire going on at Washington, the dumpster fire going on at USC. And then uh, at Arizona State, and you're like, ha, listen, we're in a great spot, pal. Hey, listen, everything's fine. And then you come and get your absolute teeth kicked in, and, and then you're like, okay, this is college football. It happened to Clemson this year. Clemson got got humbled. Um, a- Alabama's level of humbling does, doesn't always look like everybody else's but <laughs> because, because they got humbled against Texas A&M, but now they're back to the number one team in the country. So, <laughs> yeah, but, but two years ago they took some, or is it last, last year when they did make the playoff, whichever year they didn't make the playoff, they took some humble pie and, but it humbles us, us all, John, it humbles us all. And I think that that's the thing that makes college football so fantastic because one minute you feel like you're so alive and then the next minute you feel like, oh, wait, I want to die. <laughs> well, I mean, it's December 8th. On September 13th, which was a Monday, Oregon is two days removed from a, that breakthrough win at Ohio State and has got its playoff destiny in its own hands. And USC is firing Clay Helton after a terrible loss and is apparently aimless. And now USC's got Lincoln Riley. He's pulled in like four or five-star recruits in the first week. And Oregon is without a coach uh, a week before signing, early signing day. It, that was a quick turn. And, you know, certainly the dynamics within the conference and within the North Division are, are changing pretty quickly here uh, with the coaching, you know, the coaching carousel and recruiting coming up. So it'll be real interesting to see what or- Oregon does. They got to get it right, I think. Uh, because otherwise they're going to lose ground in the division, and they're they're almost certainly going to lose ground in the conference here. You know, unless Lincoln Riley is somehow big bust, uh, you know that that is a, a program that's going to be one to reckon with every year now. Yeah, since since Oregon's the most re- recent, because we still have to talk to you about the 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 other coaching hires. But since Oregon's the most recent, you just brought it up. We'll 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 deal with that. Ma- um, Mario Cristobal leaves to go to um, Miami, and I talk to him pretty frequently. And I talk to him on Sunday night for about an hour, from like eleven to midnight, and. I didn't know that it was already done. You know what I mean? Like, like I mean, he did inform the team. He did inform the school that that morning that that he was out. But the decision was pretty much made. But I, I do believe that it was a very, very tough decision. I think that if he were at USC, if he were at Oklahoma, if he were at anywhere except for probably Alabama and maybe even Alabama that he would have left to take that job because 
because it matters like Miami matters to him that much. And I and I played for a Kane who played with him uh, on those teams. His name was Alfredo Roberts. He was my first tight end coach when I was in Jacksonville. And it is something about those 80s Canes team people like like that. They were just like it was such a grind. They didn't have anything nice out there. Nothing. They just grinded together. It was tough. It was hard. And they and they won. And that is a sense of pride and nostalgia to to them that can't be, you know, that you can't put an amount of money on. You can't put a facility on. You can't put a situation on. And so I think that he would have left anywhere to go to my Miami because it was not about the money. You know, when it's your alma mater and it's your hometown all wrapped up in one, that's pretty Compelling. I mean, I th- I've thought all along there was a good chance he was going to go. As soon as it became clear yeah. Miami was thinking about making a change, uh, to me it it seemed like uh, you know there was a lot of talk. Oh, why would he go to Miami? Blah blah blah. I mean, you can't. You know, that's an indefinable thing that that the lure of an alma mater and a chance to rebuild well, as as the alma mater with the money. Yeah, as, well, as, 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 like 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 the the money, not just for him, but for the infrastructure. Yeah. Right. I, th- well, they I think that that's when it right. became. Yeah. yeah. And it seems to me like this, you know, I don't know exactly when he made it clear to Miami he was going to, he was real interested, but I think this was going on for many, many weeks behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, like two, three weeks at least. Yeah. And so, you know, not a, not a surprise to me at all. It's your alma mater. So for some guys, it may not matter. For him, it mattered a lot. And the chance yeah. to rebuild it to, the level that uh, existed when he was playing there, I think, was a super, obviously super compelling. Plus, you know, he's got his mom there, and and uh, apparently she's not well. So, a lot, lot going on in his head, I'm sure, the last couple weeks. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. 
with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moon roof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Yeah, so it did, to me, this wasn't a Willie Taggart situation. This was this was a good dude who who just had a tough choice, and he would have loved to stay. And I think that that's the only job that he would have left for. Could because, very well be. I mean, yeah, because, I mean, because, because I know for sure that he turned down uh, some um, other quote unquote big name jobs over the last couple couple years that actually even tried to pay him more. Than right. what he was ma- making at Oregon. Um, now, who does Oregon go get? Because it's very late in the day. You're a week from signing day. Obviously, based upon what they offered Crystal Ball and what I know, this is the first time Oregon's going to be willing to break out the checkbook, like for real, for real, like a like write a Lincoln Riley size check for the for the right guy. So, who do you think that they get? Because I know for sure. They are trying to be Mr. Steal Your Girl. Like, everybody better watch watch out. I can't even do – I know some of the names that have been called by Phil Knight and all this stuff, and, and you would be shocked. <laughs> you would be like, he called him? And, yep, they, they are trying to steal anybody they can. Yeah, well, I mean, with when you've got Phil Knight working for you, anything is possible. I don't know – you know, who's going to want the job and also who's appropriate. I've heard some names that Phil Knight's interested in, and I, I, just, I don't know if that those are going to work. But, well, you know, we'll see. There's a, Certainly there's a danger, though, that they hire somebody who, you know, in two or three years leaves again, right? I mean, I think that there's a philosophical decision that they need to make, which is do they want to try to hire a coach that they're pretty sure is going to stay and build and have continuity? You know, maybe not Kyle Whittingham, but – but certainly closer to Mike Bellotti, right? Six, eight, ten years. Or do they want to just, you know, get the biggest name they can find, even if there's a, a flight risk in, in two or three seasons? See, I look at that like it's kind of the way of the world in college football now a little bit because I was asked about this. You know, whether I would want, you know, let's say a guy like Justin Wilcox, who has had a tough situation at Cal, but also there are some questions. His offenses have been awful. In general. And is he a guy who can, I mean, he would stay for a long time, likely. Um, But, or do you go after a big, big name? Because if you look at Oregon's roster right now, they probably have the best roster right now in the Pac-12 in terms of accumulation of talent. And, And so if you look at the last two coaches that have left, 
they actually left the program roster wise better than they found it. So this is so this is a case of this isn't like USC where they needed some level of a rebuild or uh, Washington where they needed some level of a rebuild. This is a almost a, this is close to a ready made roster as you can get. So I think that that for me lends itself to being willing to hire a guy who may leave after four after four seasons because your roster's so good that if he can continue to to recruit well, you may actually sneak into a national championship in that window because you already qualify for that um uh for that five for the oh guys what what is it called the um when you're oh the uh the uh, blue chip ranking when you have over 50 percent of your roster that's blue chips so and those are the teams that like those are the only teams that have won national championships uh there's there were 16 of them this year and the only there's only one team that's in the playoff that wasn't in that uh that uh, that 16 and that Cincinnati. So do they really have a chance to win? We shall, we shall see. But the, but the other three teams are, you have Alabama, Georgia, and um, Michigan, Alabama, yeah. Georgia, and yeah. And Michigan, they're all in there. So that's why for me, hiring a guy who may bounce in three or four, four years, isn't really that big of a deal because the last coaches left the roster in a better position than this than it was in before they got there. Yeah, I, I certainly can can see that, you know, that line of thinking. Uh, I don't know. It depends on who they get, right? It depends on who, who they can get. Um, and, and I don't know, uh, you know, maybe maybe Phil Knight pulls pulls a, a stunner for $10 million a year. Uh, but, you know, there have been some good jobs that have come open. Guys like Dave Aranda and, and Matt Campbell have, have not – left their spots for some pretty pretty nice job opportunities. So it'll be real interesting to see which direction they they go. But what do you think yeah, about them hiring Chip Kelly? I like Chip, right? A lot. Personally, I think he's an innovative offensive mind. All of these things. Chip doesn't want to recruit on the level that I think that you have to recruit to actually win a national championship. Obviously, his his roster got Mark Helfrich to the national championship the next year, but you didn't win it. <laughs> like, there's a difference between getting there and like it was good enough to whoop whoop Florida State, and then you get to yeah. Ohio State, and Ohio State pushed Oregon around. Right. So I look at that and I say, all right, now what? Now what do like if you bring in Chip? I'm like, you cannot bring Jerry Azanara with you as defensive coordinator. He can come as your D-line coach if you want him to, <laughs> but he cannot come as, de- as defensive coordinator. And you must bring in and you must bring Dante Williams back because I've heard that he's willing to come back. Like Dante Williams, Keith Hayward, like or B-Mac, the wide, the, the wide receiver coach. Like you have to, if Chip comes back, he must be surrounded by people who will do the dirty work in the recruiting. That I would be fine with. Yeah, I think that that's the, that's the big issue. That, I mean, UCLA's recruiting model is, you know, it's built heavily on transfers right now. And, yep. you know, we'll see. Did, can that work at Oregon if they went that way? I, I just don't, you know, to me it feels like recreating 20, 
2009 to 2012. I mean, the, the landscape is different. Chip is different. I mean, every, yep. everything is different. So uh, I don't know. It'll be real interesting to see. And, and USC is different, frankly. You know, that yep. was the stretch where the sanctions were. Carroll had left. The sanctions were hitting them. And uh, there was there was some openings for Stanford and, and Oregon. Uh, I just don't know. I mean, U, USC to me is a big part of this whole equation for everybody, right? It, if, yeah. if he recruits like Pete Carroll recruited, everything's different. Be, yes, it is going to be tough to win. <laughs> um, yeah. Now, okay, now on to that USC hire. Obviously, it is a home run hire. They, they, they pulled a coup, pulling Lincoln Riley from uh, Oklahoma because he didn't want to go to the SEC. He told the administration, fought him tooth and nail, and they did it anyway, and he was like, all right, cool, I'm out. So, like – how soon? I mean, because obviously USC they needed some help in you know in a bunch of positions on 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 the roster. But what does I guess the future of US the immediate future of USC look like now? I mean, I think the transfer portal is a big deal, right? Because you can rebuild a lot quicker. You, you know, you can overhaul your roster half your roster in two, two years, really. And, and so a rebuilding job that would have taken three or four is now two or three. To me, what's reasonable for SC is, you know, getting back to a, a being in a bowl game next year. And then in 2023, they're, you know, going for the conference title and maybe a playoff berth. And by 2024, they are a preseason playoff favorite. You know, I think he, he should have that whole thing overhauled, completely overhauled in three years. Yeah. Yep. I I would agree with that. Um, and he was in a position where his roster and all of this was tough, was they could get to the playoff, but then they couldn't win playoff games. So do you think that he'll have that same trouble at USC if they're able to, you know, take over the conference? Well, first thing, do you think they will be able to take over the conference? And then second thing is, can he assemble a roster that can win playoff games, or is it just his system that can't do it? I mean, I don't, I don't think it's going to be like Pete Carroll, right? Seven, what was it, seven conference titles in a row? But I certainly yeah. think that it's reasonable to, to expect SC to be winning every other year, you know? Uh, I as for the playoffs, I mean, the big thing, right, was the lines of scrimmage play. Uh, I don't think Oklahoma couldn't stand up to those SEC teams at the line of scrimmage, right, or, or Clemson and uh, or Ohio State. So uh, can he get those linemen at SC? Probably. I mean, I think I think you probably can. I think, to be honest, recruiting to SC might be a, a little easier than recruiting to Norman, Oklahoma, even though you've got that Texas pipeline. So – uh, I think it's very possible, but that's going to be the big challenge for him, right? We know their lines of scrimmage are not very, have not been very good. They've gotten soft, right? The air raid has not treated them well. He's not going to play a pure air raid. And how well do they do on the lines, right? I mean, if he's got Mike Patterson and Sean Cody, yeah, I think they can win a playoff game, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no, of, of course. That's, <laughs> that's a big deal. Um, and... Now on to the Washington hire, Kalen DeBoer. This this is very very fascinating to to me because I think Washington got a really good coach, right? Really yep. good coach. 
uh, especially on the offensive end. So now Washington has kind of hung their hat on their defense. So now they, I think that DeBoer is going to have to figure out the the defensive end because that that's where Washington has hung their hat on. And now also it wasn't a splashy enough hire to immediately have a big impact on recruiting. So now I think that this is a great hire for them, but I think the results are going to be more shown two, three, four years from now than just, I mean, obviously I think they're going to win more games next year than, than they did this year. I think they're going to be a bold, a bold team, but I don't think that this moves the needle immediately the same way that a Lincoln Riley does at USC. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And his staff hires are going to be super important defensive coordinator. You know, who's he going to get to recruit? Uh, there's no doubt. But but I do think that on a, you know, I after they got that hire, I got two two different texts unsolicited from people who really know football who said that, that they made a very good hire and that dollar for dollar, it might be a better hire than SC made. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's going to take them. You know, it, it, it's going to take them time, right? SC is the, you know, the the higher up the blue blood chain you get, the quicker the turnarounds, right? SC and Alabama can can turn themselves around Ohio State faster than anybody. Washington, yeah. it, you know, it, it'll take a few years. I do think there will be an immediate bounce, right? I mean, they were artificially bad, like you said. They were four and eight. They shouldn't have been four and eight, right? If that's a decently coached team, they're what, seven and five, six and six? So... Yeah. So getting up to eight and four, nine and three, uh, you know, I think that that's very doable in you know the next two seasons. Now, how long will it take him to get them back to, you know, maybe win the conference title? You know, that could be a little bit longer, but but yeah, I think that there'll be a quick bounce. Yeah, that's exactly what what I think. And but the, but the bad part about it is, as soon as he gets it to to that level. In, you know, three, four, five years to that, you know, potential 10 win, winning the conference, maybe a, a playoff berth, then people are going to be trying to steal them. Like, sure. So, so that's going to be the tough part for them in that in that situation. Absolutely. That's the issue for every team in the conference that hires somebody whose roots are in the Midwest or the Southeast. I mean, it is a constant and there's, there's something to be said for hiring somebody who, who has got West personal Coast. connections yep. to the school or the West coast. Yep. And it, but it's funny is that like USC has tried to do that, right? Hire people who knew the fight song and that didn't work out so well for them. So I think you're always in a tough situation, a tough quandary when you're like, okay, do we hire somebody who knows the fight zone or do we try to get the best coach available? Yeah. And just hope that he can become one, one of us because I was talking to Ralph about this the other day and he made a great point. He said, there's a difference. He was, he was like, if you take crystal ball, for example, crystal ball grew to love Oregon. Like that, that it became part of him, but he wasn't a duck. He's, he's a right. hurricane in his heart. And so, and so maybe he wouldn't have left for anywhere else because the ducks grew on his heart so much, but it wasn't, it couldn't take away. Like it, it wasn't enough to overpower the hurricane part of him that the majority of time, these coaches, they are employees of the university. They're not, 
they're not Trojans. They're not yeah. Huskies. They're not, you know, uh, whatever. It That's not in their core. It's they are employees of the university that have grown to really, you know, love and care about that place. But it's not in their it's not in their bones. No doubt about that. Uh, you know, but that's rare, right? I mean, yeah, you, there's not a, you know, the Justin Wilcox hire is a little bit different than the Chip Kelly hire for Oregon, which is a little bit different than the Brian Harson hire, which is a little different than the Dave Aranda hire. There's like, it's like different levels of, of emotional attachment to the school or the, the region. And it certainly matters who you hire and when you hire them in their career trajectory, right? I mean, if, if you're USC, Hiring Lane Kiffin in 2021 would be a lot different than hiring Lane Kiffin in 2010, right? He's a different coach. He's a different guy. Uh, and so they, you know, Oregon, uh, like Washington, Oregon had to just kind of assess the, the supply side and the risk factors and you, you make the best call you can. Yep. Um, and, oh, it's uh, very, very interesting is that uh and one of the names that was mentioned for some of these jobs was Brian Harson, right? Yeah. And Brian Harson, he got a he got a stay of execution today, buddy. Uh Auburn announced, well they announced it yesterday that they were halting their vaccine mandate for employees. So the uh it came after a federal judge issued an order this morning prohibiting the federal government from enforcing vaccine mandates for federal contractors. So so he's gotten a stay of ex- execution don't don't know for how long but people were mentioning him and I was like if he can't if he can't survive in Alabama with the vaccine stuff no Pac-12 team is going to hire him. Yeah, I'm I would Except be willing to talk maybe yeah, I would be willing to bet that Brian Harson is vaccinated. Um, at least has gotten vaccinated since he made those statements. That would be my guess. He wanted the Washington job, and he had yeah. to know that the only way he was going to get that job was to get the vaccine. And I think he wants the Oregon job bad, right? He's a he's an Idaho guy. He waited and waited and waited for Washington or Oregon to open up. They never opened, so he goes to Auburn, and then both of them are have vacancies. I, I'm going to guess that he is vaccinated. Uh, I don't know that for sure, but that yeah. is to me the most plausible situation here. Oh, I one hundred. I, I considered that as well because I do know that there have been some coaches that were, you know, taking that stance, and then they just went and secretly did it because they're like, "Listen, this ain't like I'm a football coach. I don't want to do this, but I damn sure don't want to lose my job either." Like it took Brian Harson a long time to get to Auburn, even though he won at Washington. It took him a long time to get there. And he's like, I'm not going to give up my career for that. You know what I mean? And I think that may be part of, and, and there's that same question about Dave Aranda too. Is he, or is he not? Which, which could then impact, you know, whether he stayed at Baylor or not stayed at Baylor or there's a lot of factors that have gone into these things. And especially with COVID, we don't know where things are going. You know, people still have mandates in place. Some people don't. Will there be another lockdown? We got variants, all of this stuff. And I don't think the universities 
are going to be willing to take the risk going forward of having a situation like what what happened in Washington State with Rolovich or what could potentially have happened with Brian Harson at Auburn. I, I don't think they're willing to risk that. No, especially West Coast universities. There's no no doubt about that. Totally agree. Um, all right. Now we have the Pac-12 awards came out yesterday and uh, you've uh, th- this is voted on by the coaches. You had the coach of the year, Kyle Whittingham. Um, do you think they got it right? Oh, I think for sure with the coach of the year, they got it right. Uh, to me, the only other option would have been Jonathan Smith. And yeah. it's, hard to, it's hard to argue with with both the results for Whittingham and the journey, right? Dealing with – I mean, since since the end of last season, right, they had – they you know, they, they lost two players. So yeah. – um, one on Christmas Day, and then and then one in late September. So I, I don't, and, and he's he's very well liked across the conference, and very well respected by the other coaches. And certainly, some of this is political. Uh, so to me, I, I mean, it's possible he got all every vote, all eleven votes. Yeah, I I totally agree with that, and that that the results mattered. Had they lost to Oregon twice, I think that it probably would have been more split between him and Jonathan Smith. Yeah, but, probably. Uh, yeah, um, that that's results do matter. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey guys, LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before or check out the fully redesigned tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a toyota truck you buy toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com toyota let's go places 
Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. But before we get into the rest of the awards, this is also a complaint about the awards and your team is biased and all of this stuff. And 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 I've said it prior that Oregon has gotten shafted on some of the uh, awards because people did not like Cristobal, the 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 other coaches uh, for recruiting stuff and all of this. But this year, Arizona State people had gripes. Like, do you do you think that this was more fair or more balanced of a of like a voting? Like, how how would you assess it overall? I thought they did overall. They did a pretty good job. Better than there were. You know, I went down down the list, and there were fewer times where I kind of did a double take than <laughs> usual, right? And I think part of that could be because. I mean, last year was almost impossible, right? I mean, yeah. there were some teams were playing four games, some teams were playing seven games. You kind of have to think back to 2019, 2018. And there were times when I would think, what are they watching? What are they looking at? Or are they just <laughs> yep. completely politically driven uh, on their votes? This year, I thought on the whole, they did, they did very well. Um, uh, the one, the one of the things that jumped out, uh, I, you know, I thought Jaden Delora deserved first or second team. I was a little yeah. surprised that Cam Rising was named first team co- I didn't quarterback. Think that, yes, I did not think that he deserved to be on first team. I mean, like his team won, right? And but there weren't games really that that he was the reason why they won. Like it was the running game. Yeah, like, he made a few plays here and there, but. I thought overall the whole season, I thought that Jaden Delora was the best quarterback in the Pac-12. And I thought that DTR was the second best. Yeah. I mean, I actually picked DTR first team and Delora second. But the other thing to consider is how the voting works. And if Unless they have changed it since COVID, the way it worked before that was everybody, you pick two. You vote for two. First, first team quarterback, second team quarterback, and then – you know, they count up all the votes. And so it's possible that Rising was basically named on more ballots. And so he ended up with more points, right? So let's say he was named on a lot of ballots, but Delora and DTR kind of split the first team, a lot of first team votes. Rising oh. may have just kind of eked it out based on, you know, num- numbers, really. I, I don't yeah. know that for sure, but that's possible based on how they do the balloting. One of the things that I don't think that people always realize that happens with Pac-12 or conference awards is that it actually impacts how players, how they see themselves, right? And yeah. you'll And it messes people's minds up when they are making decisions based on the NFL draft. They'll say, oh, I'm first team all Pac- Pac-12. Like, that doesn't mean you're getting drafted higher than the guy that was honorable mention. Yeah. Like and, yeah. and I think that 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 sometimes it throws people off, or or where a conference player of the year won't get drafted because right. that's happened, or, or a conference player of the year 
you know, goes but behind the guy that was on second team or honorable mention. Right. And and I think that sometimes that 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 the awards sometimes that 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 players don't always see it the same way that people see the Grammys or yeah, the yeah. or the Oscars, where they're like, listen, the best movie doesn't always win. Yeah. Sometimes it's it's subjective. <laughs> it, it's based upon taste. Oh, no doubt about that. No doubt. You know, the the NFL is right. It's probably more. It's more about talent than performance, right? When they're doing their evaluations. And yep. and the all conference teams are more about performance and talent, right? Nathan Eldridge, Oregon State center. The, to me, that guy was clearly a first team all conference center uh, or often offensive lineman, and he made it. But what is he like? I mean, is he going to get drafted? He probably isn't even going to get drafted. Uh, yep. But he certainly divert, deserved all conference honors. Facts. Uh, offensive player of the year, Drake London. What did he what did he play? Seven seven games? I think it was eight. And, yeah. And 88 catches over a thousand yards. I mean, are you okay with the player who only played three two thirds of the season? Well, wait, so 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 he played eight total games. He played six conference games, right? Yeah, no, yeah. No. no, he played seven because wait, they because they hadn't played Notre Dame yet because they oh, played. They had played Notre Dame. I think they hadn't played BYU. Okay. So, so six. Oh, wait. No, and he missed a Cal game. Yeah. So six or seven. So, like six conference games, probably. So, was that enough two thirds of the games to win Pac 12 player of the year? Uh, to me, it was. He was my pick, partly because I didn't think he was so good during, I mean, so good. During for those two yes. months, it was unstoppable. He was, uh, I mean, he was playing at a you know Heisman Trophy finalist level. Uh, yes, if he had kept that up, he would be going to New York probably. Um, he, and he would have had a chance to win on a losing team. Yeah, he might he, have. He might. I have. mean, because oh. I mean, it's very plausible that he could have reached sixteen, seventeen hundred yards, thirteen, fourteen touchdowns. I know, uh, bananas. So. Yeah. The, and the other thing is that there wasn't an obvious – if you're not going to pick London, who are you going to pick? I didn't think it was very clear who the number two was going to be. I think that probably played a factor. And and also, there's no criteria for for how many games you got to play, right? And there's plenty of guys who didn't play all 12, right? Some guys played 10 or 11. And so, all right, well, if you play eight, is that that much worse than playing 10 or 11? Where's the line? So I, I thought he was for sure – uh, uh, yeah, because I because I couldn't think of a number two. I was like, "Who do you vote for?" Who do you, you couldn't vote for me. There was a lot of good, the really very good group of tailbacks, but not one that stood out. Uh, yeah, because the Tavion Thomas, who had a good end of the year, um, but his numbers weren't like eye popping aside from the touchdowns. But then that's kind of like a goal line thing, and then you have. Travis Dye, who had a good stretch, but he wasn't their main guy all year. And like Oh, Rashad White and Charbonnet yeah. and BJ Baylor, a lot of good tailbacks. But there was to me, there was no there was I don't know who if they had said, you know, Drake London's not eligible, who then who would you have picked? I don't know. I, I really don't know. Uh yeah. but he's and I bet you he's gonna be you know, I had to submit my votes for the uh, AP All America team today. And my guess is that he's going to be first or second team All-American too. 
<laughs> that is dope. That I mean, and that is a congratulations to a kid who uh, who I've heard is a good kid, and he obviously works hard and and all of that. So yeah, um, I think we can all agree that the Pat Tillman Defensive Player of the Year was correct with Devin <laughs> yeah. Lloyd. He, yes. he also happens to be not only the guy who had the best season, but the probably the. I mean, between him and Kayvon Thibodeau, the best defenders in the Pac-12. Like, both of those guys are going to be top 10 picks. So this is a case where Defensive Player of the Year also lines up with the NFL draft. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was a no-brainer pick to me. No-brainer. Yep. All right, uh, Freshman of the Year. See, the the COVID year has just thrown this off. Freshman of the year, Jaden Delora. He played a whole, I mean, he played a lot his actual freshman year. Like, I know he's still a freshman, but this feels him getting freshman of the year. Like, I don't hate it, but I also, it feels like when Blake Griffin or uh, who was it, Ben Simmons or who, whoever wins rookie of the year, their actual second year. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah, I. I don't know. I'm sure that there was some discussion uh, within the conference office and, you know, with the coaches about how they wanted to define freshmen this year. And it's certainly, you know, definitely different uh, than it was last. last, Basically, they just didn't count last year. So, you know, if you're going to say that that last year didn't count, then uh, Delora was probably the pretty clear pick. Yep. All right. Uh Pac-12 Defensive Freshman of the Year, uh, Junior Tafuna from Utah. You cool with that? You know, I guess, but what, I'm not sure. Wasn't Noah Sewell also? Uh, wouldn't yes. he have been eligible? Yes. I thought I thought he was a shoe-in to win. So I don't understand that one. Because yeah. Sewell would have been eligible the same way Delora was eligible. And uh, it doesn't make sense to me. Yep. Totally agree. Now, kind of quickly through the all-conference teams, one of the things that kind of eye-popping that kind of stood out to me was that Travis Dye was a finalist for Pac-12 Player of the Year, but then didn't make either first team or second team. Yeah, but who are you going to – that's the thing. And I, you know, I did my own version of this, and I'm like, all right – who am I going to pull off? Which tailback is Die going to be on there instead of between Baylor, Thomas, Charbonnet, and White? And I mm. couldn't, I couldn't yeah. figure out who to who to pull off. True. The yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. Uh, and we already talked about the quarterback situation where we thought that Jaden De- Delora should have been on. Um, what do you think about Kyle Phillips on first team? Yeah, that he worked. I thought he was very productive. Was not a good year for receivers. I don't no. think. No, no. Aside from Drake, good year for tailbacks, tight ends. I thought the offensive I line thought was pretty right good with tight ends. Yeah, I, I, because I'm a huge Greg Dolchich fan, dude. I think that this kid is going to be a really, really good NFL player too. Yeah, me too. Certain um, position every year, you know, there's strength, positions of strength and positions of weakness. And this year, you know, I thought wide receiver was and quarterback were were weak. Uh, I thought running back, tight end, offensive line were pretty strong. I thought the defensive line was weak. I thought the linebackers were pretty strong. So it ebbs and flows. 
Yep. Um, what did you think about now on the on did, did did you have any glaring things on the offensive line that uh that should have been changed? Um offensive line. I'm just looking at it right now. I, I you know, I could I was didn't pick Kirkland, but I didn't think that there was anything <clears throat> I didn't think there was anything egregious that they did. Um, yeah. Then all that, you know, the, the pool of, of, you know, they had six guys on the first team because I think a tie and five on the second. Those 11 were all reasonable picks. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, first team defense and second team defense. Did anybody stick out to you on the defensive line? Because me, I actually thought that I thought that getting Brandon Doralis from Oregon on that list was very important because that because that that kid to me I think that if if people haven't really paid attention to him play, um, I I think that he's the next best thing coming out of the Pac-12 on the defensive line in terms of NFL draft potential. Yeah, yeah no, he I thought that was good. They picked um, I'm looking at it. They picked six defensive linemen. Because yeah. uh, I guess because of ties, right? So he was one of six. They included Ron Stone as a defensive lineman. Yeah, I was I kinda, I, Yeah, I, I kind of viewed him as an edge outside, outside linebacker. Yeah. Um, to me, the 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 thing that jumped out the most on defense was that Darian Butler made second team. I, I thought he was very very good for ASU this year. Yes, he was. He was. Yeah, he was their leading tackler and all of that, and. And the other part that's kind of weird is this, is that, okay, so you have um, on first team, right? Well, actually, 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 it, 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 it wasn't that. Oh, wait, no, no, no. Yeah, is that, so who was that we just talked about, the freshman defensive player of the year? Junior to Tafuna from Utah, right? Right. Yes. Who is not on first team All Pac twelve on first team defense? Yes. Yeah, I know. It's a little bizarre. Guess who's not on second team defense? It's a little bizarre. <laughs> and where is Noah Sewell? Yep. On first team. So you're like, how does this make sense? And I think the same thing happened either last year or the year before, too, where you're like, how does this wait? How does the person who uh, oh, 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 I think it happened with Kayvon Thibodeau and Drake Jackson, where Kayvon Thibodeau was on like first team or something all pack pack 12 and Drake Jackson wasn't. But then he won freshman of the year. And you're like, wait, I don't understand. Or, or 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 it was that uh, Thibodeau won freshman of the year and then wasn't on the all pack 12 team. It, yeah. Either way, though, those types of things are always weird to me. I'm like, how, how, how is this guy not on first team defense, but then he wins an award over a guy who's on first team defense? I don't I, I don't get it. I don't get it. So, certainly something that needs to be. uh Asked to the conference office. Yeah, because that makes no sense. Um, uh, what what do you think about the? Uh, oh, Avery Roberts from Oregon State on first team. I thought that they. I thought I would have probably switched him and Darian Butler. Yeah, and 
even though I think that Nate Landman's a better player, but he missed some time, so I didn't think that you could put him on first team over Butler. Yeah, I, 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 to me, Roberts is a very good player, and his tackle numbers were off the charts, but high level impact week to week. I, you know, I, I viewed him more as a second team guy. But again, a lot of this is just is minor stuff. I don't think that. Uh, you know, I, I didn't see anything glare, you know, glaring other than the f- defensive freshman of the year situation. I, I didn't think there was anything real glaring. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, Doug Gottlieb here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making the now perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines the raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. With the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before. Or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. With new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. You, Avery re, re, reminds me of Hamilcar Rashid <clears throat> yeah. in that like the numbers are there, but you're watching it and you're like, it doesn't feel dominant. Yeah. Right. And right. their defense, their defense was hardly dominant, right? I mean, they yes. were they had a lot of trouble. Yep. Any any problem with the DBs? Uh no. I mean, there are a couple of them, you know, were pretty clear to me, right? I mean, McDuffie's tremendous, McKinley, uh, Hicks. I, yeah, I would have – any of those, they got eight on there. Um, I can't think of anybody uh, – let's see. Who would they have left off that w- should have been on there? Mm. Washington, Washington State. I think they pretty much got it right. 
Yeah, I would I would agree with that too. Um, because I didn't think that there was anybody from uh USC or Arizona or um oh oh uh how about Chase Chase Lucas? Yeah, I picked him. Uh, I'm I thought he would have been maybe made at least second team from the coaches. Uh interesting that he wasn't. Um you know, I ASU probably fans probably think that uh they got robbed, but you know, it's, they didn't. You got more of a case if you win your division and you get robbed than if you, than if you don't. For sure. Um, any? How about the specialists or yeah? No, I mean uh, the specialists all look good to me, right? I, and it's interesting how they, you know, uh, how do you? Where do you put Britton Covey? Right, receiver. Is he all purpose? Is he return specialist? They ended up putting him. He has to be somewhere. They put him return specialist, which which Dude, makes he's sense. He's a three time first team All Pac twelve selection. He's like thirty eight years old. He had yeah, <laughs> and he had. You could really make a case. He had the play of the year, right? That punt return was the play of the year. Yes, that you are one hundred percent right, John. Um, be- before we finish up, though, um, how would you grade this season? For the Pac-12, I mean, it kind of—it depends on an absolute basis or a relative basis, right? Because it's a lot like 2018, 19, right? A lot of parity, no playoff team. I would probably give them a a C, maybe C minus. I mean, you combine the the trouble at the top, meaning no playoff team. With the trouble at the middle and the bottom, with all those non-conference losses, I mean, zero and five against BYU, zero and two against San Diego State, two losses to FCS, Good Nevada, God. Fresno, Utah. I mean, there was a, overall was a losing record non-conference. So I don't know how you can give them, give, you know, give it anything above a C at very best, and probably a, a C minus. And then you factor in the lack of star power, uh, you know, individual level, right? Uh, other than Really, Drake Drake Jackson on offense, or Drake London. So, ah, C minus maybe. What about you? You made a very compelling case that that overall. So you you had a team that could have made the playoff and they didn't. <laughs> uh, had a big non conference win in Oregon and they didn't. So that's a demerit already. So you can't get an A because you didn't make the playoff. You finished a regular season with two teams inside the top 15. So, okay. I mean, I guess, I guess, right? I mean, two teams inside the top 15, but you need, like, I think a win is like having a team in the playoff or two teams inside the top 10. Like, I would be okay with that. Um, I think that the the non-conference having a losing record is atrocious, yeah. Like losing to two FCS teams, I can I can give a pass for the Arizona for the Arizona one, right? Uh lo- lo- losing to uh Northern Northern Arizona. Yep. But the Montana Washington, that's a fail. <laughs> that is a fail fail. Yes, it is. I mean because wa- Washington is more talented. like they're better everything. Um, so that, that was bad going 0 and 5 against BYU was, I mean, that was just, that was embarrassing. 
Yes. That was embarrassing. Thank God it wasn't Notre Dame. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> oh, and then and oh, and then Notre Dame went two two and oh two, but at least they were a top ten team and they played Stanford and yeah, and, and then Stanford was just atrocious. USC was a doormat. It was bad, dude. It was. I, I gotta give it a. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go with you. I'm, I might go all the way down to a D, though. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you can certainly make a case for D. That's not unreasonable. Yeah, it was. It was bad. It was. Jeez, Louise. So is the even though we got a D or a C minus, is the conference better off or better positioned going into 2022? Uh, probably. I mean, I think that certainly the situation at SC helps. But I think the biggest thing is that they're not the conferences are coming off a COVID year, right? I, I think that COVID had a big a bigger impact on the Pac-12 than it did on other conferences because Pac-12 teams had played fewer games last year, had fewer practices, and yeah. weren't as ready to play. I mean, compared to BYU, right? BYU started their training camp in 2020, like on August 1st. They had a full training camp. They had a full season. That put them in a better position when this year started, I thought, yeah. to, to be successful. So I think just the fact that this has been a full year will put the Pac-12 in a better spot next September than it was in this September. Uh, that is legit. Um uh, final question, I guess, on the Pac-12 thing is I'm looking at, I guess, kind of what's what's coming up with the alliance, right? And, and I know that you get a chance to talk to the people in the conference a lot. So when it when is this scheduling agreement supposed to start? Because they originally said that they're going to honor the contracts that they have. But if you honor the contracts that you have now, like – some some of those are until like 2030, 2032. So when when does the scheduling agreement start? Well, so what they what needs to happen is the Big Ten needs to decide if it's going to go to eight conference games. <clears throat> if the Big Ten goes from nine to eight conference games and the Pac-12 goes from nine to eight conference games, then all of a sudden – you, they just play each other. That's how you fill that new non-conference slot on your schedule. If the Big Ten doesn't do it, then it's going to be, I think, a little bit more of a piecemeal situation. They've already got, you know, hundred and I think it's 130, 140 games scheduled against Power 5 opponents in the next 10 years. So, you know, there's plenty. There's going to be plenty of games, whether it's an official agreement or not. Uh, has to be worked out, but but there's plenty of games. They got 40 games against the SEC scheduled coming up. So uh, this is just this is if there's an if they go to eight, if they go to eight for conference play, and the Big Ten goes to eight for conference play, that that spot will be filled with head-to-head matchups. Okay, and okay, yeah, and, and I'm I'm actually excited about a. Uh, about that, uh, but um, the way everybody knows, we're we're going to start tra- transitioning because football season is ending, and Pac-12 basketball season is 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 going on. Um, quickly, uh, John, the Pac-12 basketball season is going about as well in the non-conference as the Pac, or worse. Wait, is it going worse or about the same as the Pac-12 did in football in the non-conference? 
Yeah, it's not going very well. It is not. There's a lot of losses to bad teams. Um, and that could have a big impact on what happens on Selection Sunday. There's no doubt about that. No doubt. Yeah, so, so, you know, the problem with basketball is that, you know, the, the way they use those metrics, if you lose to a conference opponent that's got a bad power rating, that affects you. And so you've got some teams that are in the 200s in the, in the net rankings, and that's going to kind of create a little bit of a sinkhole that could swallow up some teams, right? And so uh, you're, it's almost like you're defined by how bad your, your worst teams are than how good your best teams are. Yeah, and the worst team in the conference right now is Oregon State, who was in the yeah. Sweet Six. It was in the Elite Eight. Sorry, no, last year, and now they're one and eight. I know one and eight, one and eight, Jeez. and they and they committed to Wayne Tinkle for like seven years, right, with a new oh. contract. That that may be that may turn out to be a disaster. Um, oh, Washington, Washington is. I mean, at least they've crawled back up to four and zero, or four and four. Uh, Oregon's is five and four. I mean, but but it, but at least we have three three teams in the top sixteen. We got UCLA four, Arizona eleven, and USC six sixteen. So at least somebody is doing their job. There's there are three teams are pretty much locks for the NCAA tournament. The question is whether anybody from the group of Colorado. Um, uh, Utah, Washington State, and Oregon. How many of those four can become NCAA tournament teams? That's going to be the big question. All right. Well, we will get to that very soon and start covering that because uh, the the bowl games are coming, but they're kind of scattered. Um, yeah, you guys, I'm George Reister. He's Mr. John Wilder. This is the Pac-12 Apostles. Peace out. Talk to you guys next week. Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals to Hyatt, Zalara, Riviera Maya in Mexico and enjoy a selection of exclusive non-stop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started.